Hey, everybody. Welcome again. So glad that you're here and that uh, you're willing to press into this series called Uncomfortable. That is a pretty uncomfortable scenario right there. So how many of you guys remember the, uh, you guys are familiar with like 3D movies, right? You all remember this, right? They're kind of the big craze right now, but uh, back in the 50s and 60s is where the craze started, the 1950s, right? And when they first came out, uh, they kind of carried this reputation as being like a cheesy type of movie experience, kind of low budget. Y'all remember this, right? Um, let me show you a little picture because when this stuff first came out, I mean, there was some scary stuff going on because it was like the Black Lagoon and King Kong being released. But this is the picture of, of a movie theater. Uh, like they just packed in to see 3D movies and and check this out. Like, if you, I want you to notice something about this picture real quick. Um, first of all, if you look closely, every picture that I saw of moviegoers in the 50s and 60s, every one of them, everybody was dressed to the nines. I mean, they totally dressed up to go to the movies. It was crazy. Like us, we just like wear flip-flops and we're like there, okay? But, but these people, it was a big deal. Uh, and the other thing is, look at how into it they are. I mean, they're like, oh. Because why? It was so new and it was so impressive. It was so crazy different. It was brand new, right? And so people were totally into it back then. Now, I don't know a lot about how 3D movies are made, but I have a basic understanding and it's this, is that they shoot a scene with two cameras side by side focusing in on the same shot and yet there's slightly different angles to the camera. And then when you wear these sweet glasses... It's like the images somehow like miraculously jump off the stage, right? Or jump off the screen for you. Talk about sweet, right? You know what I'm talking about? Have you, you all worn these before? 3D glasses? Anybody ever wear these before? Yeah, you look silly doing it, I'm telling you. Okay, but, but here's the deal. Um, but, but the idea is that all of a sudden the, the images come alive. There's a different reality. The idea is that you're literally seeing two realities at once. Two different films shot of the same thing, but two different angles. Two different realities side by side. I, I remember uh, about a year ago, I actually went to go see a 3D film. It wasn't necessarily on purpose, but uh, Lynette and I were celebrating our 25th wedding anniversary. And so we, yeah, 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 dog. And, and so uh, we, we took a trip uh, over to the other side of the state and, and I went crazy. I mean, it was like a getaway with just us and I went crazy and, and we went out for dinner and a movie. Okay. D- dinner and a movie. Big spending. <clears throat> actually it wasn't that big because somebody had given me free movie passes to be honest but but we, we took advantage of it and so we're, we're like at the theater deal and we're looking and I'm thinking this is our 25th anniversary and you know I got to play this off just right and so I need to take Lynette to one of these kind of romantic spins you know like you got to make sure you do this thing right and so when I get to the theater I, I noticed they, were, they had the new Planet of the Apes movie Yes, glory to God. And so, uh, I, and I thought to myself, this is, this is perfect for an anniversary thing. I wanted to see this movie, right? And so I, I, I convinced Lynette, I'm like, hey, honey, don't you remember when we were kids? We used to watch this. Anybody remember watching that when you were kids? And so I like go, hey, this is like bring back nostalgia and all those wonderful feelings, you know? It's awesome. And so crazy enough, she agreed. She's like, all right, we're in, okay? And then I realized it's in 3D. I'm like, this is bonus. This is even larger than life. This is incredible. And so I get up there with my free movie passes and I, and I put the things down like I'm big. Hey, honey, check this out, you know? And uh, so I put that down and then they wanted an additional like five or 10 bucks for these things. 
And I argued with him. I'm like, hey, wait, wait. It says free movie. It does not say anything about having to buy something to actually see the movie. It's free movie, right? I lost the battle. I ended up the money. I went in, and I'm so excited. And my beautiful bride, she's sitting right there next to me, and like, I'm excited. And the movie starts, and, and, and you see these, these humongo, intense apes literally just jumping off the screen at you. And I think this is just the best thing because she's like cuddling close to me. But if you know Lynette at all, you, you just, she's just not going to stand for this, right? I'm like, oh, this is not going to go over well. And I'm just trying to make it happen. And, and so she, like 10 minutes into the movie, no kidding, she stands up. It's our 25th wedding anniversary. She stands up and uh, she says, I'm not staying for this. I'm leaving. I'm like, oh, where are you going to go? Because I'm not leaving. I'm here. Like, I'm here. You know, we're, we're in the movie. And, and she goes, I'm just going to go see what else they got. I'm like, all right, see ya. You know, <laughs> which probably wasn't the best move, okay? I've never claimed to be a romantic, all right? Just what I'm saying. So anyway, she goes off. And what's really funny about this whole situation, I mean, I am like totally digging it. I'm like by myself. I'm like, oh, 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 I'm down. You know, and I am like totally engaged in this thing because I love stuff like this, right? And, but she's off in another theater. But what was funny is she goes off to another theater and it was a movie about a pastor at a very large church who was doing all kinds of bad things. So like 15 minutes later, my wife comes in and snuggles up with her pastor husband who was not doing all sorts of bad things. Amen. You know what I'm saying, right? So today I want to talk a little bit about living in 3D reality um, to experience a kind of a 3D sort of life. And, And you get the idea that there are two realities going on. We don't often think this way in America, but there are two realities going on. There is the physical life that we have around us. It's the getting up and breathing, putting on our clothes and eating and and going through the motions of living. There's that reality. But then there's this other reality where God is at work in our life, where the spirit of God is, is speaking into our life and calling into our life and doing things in us and through us, that, that there are these dual realities going on. And I often think sometimes we forget this and we forget that God wants to do more in our lives than we could even ever imagine. And it works like this. This is where this, this 3D living, where the spirit of God, listen, becomes a reality in your life. It begins with this. When you and I decide to get out of the lazy boy, we've been talking about the lazy boy. When we decide to get out of comforts and circles of comfort, and get it, when we decide to get up, and get engaged in what God is calling us to do. When we start to go into the zone of the unknown, when we decide to make walks across the room like we talked about last week, when we decide that this is just simply not enough for us, and we move toward the Spirit of God, we start to listen to his voice, this is when God becomes alive. This is when his spirit pops. This is where life gets interesting. This is where God shows up and freaks us out a little bit. And starts to do things in our life that we never even dreamed possible. It begins when we're willing to take walks across the room. And I would love just to pause real quick. We don't have time for this, but I would love to go right around this room. And just challenge every one of you who were here last week. Did any of you take a walk across the room? Did any of you hear the voice of God and were willing to follow it no matter where it led you? Just wonder. Because that's where the action is, friends. That is where it comes Alive, And when we get this, listen, when we get this, 
we start living like Jesus lived. When we start obeying the voice of God and venturing out and taking walks across the room and getting out of our lazy boy and stop building our little kingdom and start building his huge kingdom, that's when we start to act like Jesus and love like Jesus and live like Jesus. That is when things change for us, friends. As a matter of fact, there is a story that emerges from the life of Jesus found in the book of Luke chapter 19. If you got a Bible, I'd love for you to turn over there or a smartphone, go over there. Luke chapter 19. Now Luke, let me just tell you this. Luke is a doctor. Luke was an educated man. And Luke was one of the earliest followers of Jesus. He, he walked with Jesus. He, he witnessed his life. And he recorded some of the events of Jesus' life. And he records this very interesting encounter with a man who was very far from the heart of God. Jesus literally runs into this man. And we're just going to find out how it goes down. So check this out. Luke chapter 19, starting in the very first verse, it says this, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through that town. So Jesus enters this town, he's passing through, right? And we need to pause real quick here because sometimes we think that, um, that Jesus has nothing going on. That he's just walking around loving people and that if we only had time to walk around and love on people, we could do what Jesus did. That's ridiculous. Jesus was just like us. He had things to do, people to see, appointments to keep, things that happened in his life. I mean, it is just like us. So Jesus is seen right here at the very beginning. He is in motion. He, he's moving somewhere. He has an agenda. He is going through the town of Jericho. And, and then it says this, that something, or maybe we should say someone, caught his attention. Something catches his eye. And listen to this. It says, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector. Ooh, boo, boo. And he was very wealthy because of it, right? He wanted to see who Jesus was. Now, why did he want to see who Jesus was? We've explained this several times around here where we talked about the idea that as Jesus moved from town to town and when you tend to heal people, when you tend to make blind people see and deaf people hear and dead people come back to life, people start to talk about you. Right? It makes perfect sense. So everywhere people, everywhere Jesus goes, people want to see him. And Zacchaeus, among the rich and the powerful, there was no exception. He, he wanted to see who this Jesus was. But the funny thing is, he couldn't quite see who Jesus was. It says this, but being a short man, he could not see because of the great crowd, right? Pause for a second. Anybody remember the Sunday school smash hit, Zacchaeus? Anybody remember? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was. That's what I'm talking about right there. It's a hook if you can remember it 30 years later. I'm telling you, it is a hook. And so Zacchaeus, being vertically challenged, he, he figures out how to see Jesus because he's intent on seeing Jesus. And so it says this. So he runs out ahead and he climbs a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. And that makes sense, right? I mean, you can see in the crowd and this man was a wee little man. And so he, he climbs this tree because he wants to get over the crowd to see this man who everybody is talking about. He says, I got to get a glimpse. I got to figure this out for myself. He was a spiritual seeker, right? And then it says this, verse five, it says, when, when Jesus reached that very spot, he, he looked up and said to Zacchaeus, he's like walking, he's like, a midget in a tree. Now, I don't know if you're supposed to say that, but I'm thinking that's what Jesus thought, right? I mean, I mean, he was like, wow, what are you, what are you doing up there, you know? And, and listen to what goes on here. This is amazing. It, it, he, he looks up and he says to Zacchaeus, which is funny. He knows Zacchaeus is his name. 
And he calls him out by name. And we're not sure how he knows his name. Maybe he is using the powers of that, that he is the son of God. I mean, I'm guessing he has a little in knowledge that maybe we don't have. But, but I don't know if he had a previous encounter with him. I don't know if he paid payroll taxes to Zacchaeus at one point. We're not really sure. But all we know is he looks up and he, and he calls out, Zacchaeus, you come down immediately. And then he says this little phrase. This is very interesting. I must stay at your house today. And, and that's exactly what we would do. I mean, if we saw a midget up in the tree, we would say, come down because I'm coming over to your place. Maybe not, right? But it is striking though. And, and, and you see what happens here, right? He, he says this, he says, so he came down at once and get this, and he welcomed him Gladly. So Zacchaeus welcomed Jesus gladly into his home. Now that does make sense. That is what we would do. Now let's just be honest. I mean, if Jesus were alive today, walking physically among us, and you've heard all the things that he's done, a man who is considered by some to be the son of God, who is considered by some to be the Messiah, who is considered by some to be the great rabbi, the holy one of God, and he says, hey, I'm going to come and stay at your house tonight. Are you really going to argue with him? No, my guess is, is most of us in this room, I don't care how small or how sloppy or how run down your house is, you're gonna, like, if he says, I'm coming to your place, you're gonna move heaven and hell to make that happen. Am I right? You're just gonna try to make this happen. And so Zacchaeus, I don't know, I'm thinking maybe he was caught off guard. I, I don't really know. But he, he says, you're most certainly welcomed to stay in my place. So he invites the son of God the rabbi, the famous one, into his home. Now check out verse seven because this is so human and this is how it all starts. This is where the gossip mill starts, right? It says all the people saw this. What did they see? They saw Zacchaeus, a Roman official, someone whose heart was very far from the heart of God and they saw the Holy One of God, the one claiming to be the Messiah, the one who's claiming to be the Son of God, all of a sudden going out for dinner together. That'd be like saying, oh, yeah, 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 I saw the pastor with that hooker. I'm sure of it. Right? And so they go, all the people saw this, and they began to, what do they say? They mutter. I cannot believe it. Right? They mutter. And then he, and then they say this phrase, and maybe you could say this with me. Everybody say this with me. He has gone to be the guest of a of a sinner. Jesus was living in 3D right about here. I mean, he, he, he was living with a sense of eternity, a sense of calling in his life. He didn't care about status quo. He didn't care about what other people thought. He didn't care about looking religious. He didn't care about his agenda, his comfort zone, um, where he was heading or what he had to do. There was no concern in his life about the next episode of Waking Dead or American idolatry. I mean, American Idol, Right? He was not concerned about, hey, I got something going on. No, what he was concerned about was following the leadership of God in his life. He hears the voice of God. And he looks up and he's like, I'm on this agenda over here, but all of a sudden, there's something here that God wants me to do. And I'm not saying we're supposed to live our lives haphazard and, and, and scattered and all that sort of thing, because I don't live my life that way at all. But we are to live our life locked into the voice of God, where we're willing to change our agenda, 
where we're willing to change our direction. Y'all hear me on this? This is God's desire for us, is that we, we are willing servants, that we're willing followers. So he wasn't content with just watching a make-believe life on television. He wanted to live life. He, he wanted to engage God. He wasn't glued to his lazy boy experience. He wanted to be in the kingdom of God. He wanted to bring, Jesus said, the kingdom of God to earth. To earth. That's what he wanted to do. And, and so why did they call Zacchaeus a sinner? And you may know this already, but why did they call him? Because he was a, a tax collector. Now, how does being a tax collector make you a sinner and a big time sinner? If you don't know that, then that means you have not had a job yet. <laughs> oh, just kidding. You see, in this day, a tax collector was a high official in Rome. And Rome was the occupying force. Rome was the enemy. And, and this is how the Roman tax collection system basically worked in a nutshell, is that everybody in this region had to give so much to Rome, had to ante up tax so much. But that what they would say to their tax collectors is they would say, now you're, you're supposed to get this much revenue out of this region. And whatever you can get out of that region above and beyond that, you can keep it. That's your payment. And so they would be extortionists. They would often collect two and three times what Rome uh, required of them. And guess what? You didn't have much to say about it because why? The tax collector had the, the power of the Roman legion to back him up. Revenue is everything with power, right? You get this, right? And so you see what's going on here. And so tax collectors uh, were considered among the worst of sinners, and yet Jesus finds himself in the home of one of the most notorious midget tax collectors that the world had ever seen. He finds himself with Zacchaeus, the Roman extortionist. And, and, and while we don't know all that was said over dinner, we don't know all that transpired, we do know something happened in the heart of Zacchaeus. This man who was an occupier from Rome, more than likely a pagan worshiper because that's who they employed. They worshiped Caesar as God. Something happened in that time over dinner with Jesus. And this is what the scripture says. At some point during this little dinner party, this little dinner gathering, it says this, verse eight, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, it says right to Jesus, he says, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay him back four times the amount. What do you call this, friends? This is repentance. Something's happening in Zacchaeus' heart. He is, he's going, I have not lived right. I have abused my power, and I want to make it right before God and before man. And he confesses his sin. And he tries to make atonement for it. He tries to make it right. Now listen to Jesus' incredible response to this. Jesus says to him, verse nine, today, he says, today salvation has come to this house. Amen? Now listen, this wasn't like, hey, today a good deed has come to this house. Uh, or, or today, uh, here's a man who's been a jerk, is no longer a jerk. No, he makes this proclamation that there has been a radical soul transformation inside of Zacchaeus. 
He says, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For this, then Jesus makes this declaration of what his life is about. He says this, for the son of man, that's what Jesus called himself, by the way. You may not know that, but Jesus called himself the son of man. In other words, not just son of a man, but the son of, of God, the man. Do you understand this? So Jesus calls himself the son of man. And he takes this very arching picture of himself and he goes, for the son of man came to what? Seek and to save what was lost. And that's it, friends. This is the mission. This is what Jesus was all about. This is still what he's all about to this very day. He did not come for the exclusive few. He did not come for the chosen few, as some people claim. He did not come for the religious few or the righteous few. He came to seek and to save all who were distant from God. All who felt broken from God, all who felt lost and directionless in their life and hopeless in their life, whose sin has contaminated their soul. This is who God sent his son for. This is why Jesus walked the planet. Not just for the perfect churchgoers who kind of get their act all together. He came for one and for all. And friends, are we any different than this? Is there any among us who this does not describe as once lost, as once blind, as once broken in your relationship with God. Jesus came to save you. This was his mission. He came to bring light to your soul, light to your darkness, light to your life. That's what he came for. This is the mission of God. And I don't know about you, but but during the last week or so as we started talking about this idea of, of walking across the room and entering zones of the unknown and, and, and wanting to really be used by God, I, I just had this weird preoccupation with people this week. I don't know if you sense that at all. I was trying to wrestle with this for my own life. What does it mean to follow the leadership of God for my own life? And so maybe I was weird this week. I don't know, but like, I'm sitting in traffic just staring at people. You know, I'm at the gym just watching some people jog on the treadmill and they're kind of feeling uncomfortable about it. You know, I, I, I'm, like, I'm like, even here in church, looking across people I know and people I don't know. Some who are even still far from God, even in this room right now, just wondering in my soul, God, do you want something more from me? God, I want to live on mission like you lived on mission. I want to do what you you did. I want to follow you. Am I supposed to go and reach across the room with this person or this person? I struggle with, anybody find that struggle this week that you were just struggling to find where God was, was leading you? And friends, the reason I want to point this out is because there are re- two different realities going on. There is the reality of our everyday life. And then there's this reality of that God wants to use us. There is this reality that, 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 that God wants to call us into areas and ways that we've never thought possible, where we bring this greatest gift that you and I have ever received, where we bring this to somebody else that we care deeply about. And when you and I, friends, we, when we start to care deeply about the eternity of somebody else, it's not being nosy. It's not being demanding. It's not being arrogant or self-righteous. It is being like Jesus. Because that's his mission. 
And when we become Christ followers, we care about the mission of reaching lost people. And we're willing to get very comfortable with being uncomfortable. And so I want to spend just a few moments um, getting really practical together because my guess is, and it's only a guess, but my guess is that there, there's probably a whole bunch of us who, who, has made, who have made this decision that you are willing to get out of the lazy boy. There's probably a whole bunch of us who have made the decision that says, I want to be in the game. I want to give this greatest gift that I've ever received, this gift called grace, this gift called salvation, this gift called connection with the Son of God, the, the one who brings me to the Creator, the one who brings me to the Father. My guess is that there's some of us in this room who say, I want in on that. I want to give this away. But if you're like me at all, you get a little nervous about this. Um, you get scared to do this. You feel it. You feel God calling you. But how do we do this? Well, I want to get really practical about what it means to get up out of the lazy boy and to begin to share our faith. And so here's what I want us to look at. I want us to look at this idea of living in three Ds. Not 3D, but living with three Ds. Because I think there are three Ds that take us to where God wants us to go. And, and, and I want to make this as simple and as practical as possible. But here's where it begins. Here's where I think this idea of a walk across the room begins. It's this idea of developing friendships. If we're gonna live in this 3D experience where we start seeing the realities of God, we've gotta begin with the first D. And that is to develop friendships that really matter. That when we start to realize that, that people matter, if we're gonna reflect God's goodness, we're gonna reflect God's heart, both as individuals and as a church, then we must be in continuous search mode like Jesus, for people who are outside of our little circle. You hear me? We've got to be in continuous search mode for the very people that God cares about. Um, we need to watch for ways to, to connect with people, looking for ways to build friendships that are outside of our normal spheres of influence. And here's what I think. I think all of heaven leans in when he starts to speak to you and he starts to call you to places where maybe you didn't think you were supposed to go and now you think maybe you're to go. I think all of heaven leans in and goes, is he gonna get up and walk? Is he gonna make that move? But here's the truth is most of us, this is why we call these circles of comfort. Most of us are very comfortable with the friends that we have. Most of us, not all of us. Some of us don't like our friends at all, okay? You need new friends. I don't know what your deal is. But most of us, we, we, we say, well, I don't have any room for any more relationships in my life. Most of us say, I, I'm very comfortable with my friends. I like my friends. They're like me. We like the same things. We, we do the same things. We make the same amount of money. We look the same. We're all white. We're all black. We're all this. We're all that. We're all short. We're all tall. We're all fat. I only like fat people. I only like skinny people. Right? I mean, let's just be honest. Most, there are people in this room, I only like highly educated people. I only like rich people. And, and we put up these, these filters about who we're going to reach out to. But friends, it begins when we decide to get out of our circles and we start to develop relationships with people who are not so much like us. But here's what happens. Here's what happens in the body of Christ is that um, somehow, instead of the church, the body of Christ, living with ever-increasing circles of acceptance, ever-increasing circles of loving relationships, here's what we do. We circle the wagons. 
Think about how the church works. We circle the wagons and protect just our own. We, we're only in tune to our, to our own. That's true. This is why most churches never grow past 50 to 100 people because only so much can fit here. Only so many can fit in my little world. But somehow we gotta change this. Let me see if I can illustrate this uh, by putting up some masterful art pieces on the screen for you. These are way better than normal because I did not make them. Um, but, but let me just talk about this idea from a mathematical perspective. I wanna think about how this works. And some of you, as soon as I start talking about math, your eyes glaze over and all this. But do you remember back in algebra, there was this thing called direct equations or direct proportions and indirect proportions, right? That there's direct relationships between numbers as they move and numbers as, so there's direct proportions and there's also indirect. This is how numbers kind of work, right? So let me explain it by using Jake as my illustration here. Follow along because this is really important. Um, Let's just say that we want to evaluate Jake's um, kind of height and weight and the proportions about how, where his body physically is, is moving. And, and uh, so maybe Jake hits his teen years and so he skyrockets in height, right? All of a sudden, a guy grows 10% in one year. And so you see this, right? He, he, he goes up. And then, now if his height and his weight are in direct variation or direct proportion, then they go up together. According to the math, if he gains 10% in height, he should gain... in weight. Now, this is in math. This isn't how real life works, okay? But but in math, that's that's called direct proportions, right? And so his height goes up, his weight goes up. This is called direct variation. Well, but it doesn't always work that way. There's this thing called indirect variation, where his height goes up, but his weight goes down. He hits a growth spurt, but instead of gaining weight, he gains height, but he loses weight. There's an indirect correlation of the numbers. Y'all making sense now? Okay. So we're, we're pretty much done with the math talk. Okay. Y'all got this? Okay. That's the math end of it. But this also is true for, for, for the Christian faith, for the spiritual life. There's a, sometimes a direct proportion or an indirect proportion. Sometimes there's direct variations in our life an indirect variation. So I'm going to introduce to you somebody new. Let's say we meet Jane. Okay. And, and Jane um, she becomes a follower of Christ and she kind of gets around Christ and she starts to move toward Christ. Her heart is filled with joy. Her heart is filled with, with uh, love of God and she's wanting more and more of God in her life. And, and so um, the first thing is that she starts to want other people to have this, right? As her joy goes up, so let's go to the next screen. So her walk with Christ is growing up. Her love for people increases. Now pause for a second. Many of us in this room, when we first became Christians, when we first became Christians, God sort of called us out of a non-Christian world. Does that make sense? Most of the people we were hanging out with weren't believers. Most of our family maybe weren't, weren't believers. Some of us were raised in an all-Christian environment, in an all-Christian home, but that's not the majority of us. That's not the majority of us. So God does a work inside someone. So your love of Christ is going up, and all of a sudden, as your love for Christ goes up and up, your love for people went up and up. Most of us, when we first became Christians, at least it was for me, um, I just wanted my whole family to know. I just wanted all my friends to know. God had gotten a hold of me in such a big way, I was, I was obnoxious about it. Maybe I still am, I don't know. But I wanted people to know. And maybe some of you were like that. When you first got a hold of God, or where I would say God got a hold of you, you wanted other people to know. And so your love for Christ was going up, but your love for people also was growing up. 
But then something often happens to us a little bit later in our Christian walk. And I know this is true because I've been around church life for a long, long time. Something tragic happens. There's, instead of having a direct proportion of getting around people that God loves and getting around people who are lost and wanting them to know, what often happens is the longer we love Christ and the longer we're part of his church and the more and more and more and more we get involved, which can all be good things, often does not end up being a good thing because there's a direct or indirect variation that happens so very often. While we're still moving up in our personal relationship with Christ, the problem is that we've surrounded ourselves only with Christians. We only do business with Christians. We only hang out with Christians. We only go to church. That's our social life. We go to church parties. We go to church life groups. We go to church, church, church things. We serve at the church and our whole life becomes part of the body of Christ and we think that's a good thing. And it can be a good thing. But it can also be a tragic thing. Because oftentimes we end up closer in proximity with the greatest person who's ever walked this planet. We end up in closer proximity with the love of God. And yet, we end up more distant from the very people God has called us to reach. There's a direct invariation indirect variation going on. Let me, let me show you what happens here. We, instead of, put, that, put number eight up there. We walk with Christ, go up as we, as we love him more, but oftentimes we end up loving people less. We end up starting to filter out. Here's what happens. Listen, we end up starting to filter out people that we, we don't want to hang out with anymore. You, you see, and, and it can be a good thing at first, because you know certain people took you to certain places and did certain things and, and, and there's a certain pull that people have in your life and you go, you know what, I don't want that anymore. So you, we move away from those people. But what ends up happening is years and years later as our walk with Christ and our maturity with Christ goes up and up and up, we start to put up these little filters and we start to say, you know what, that person is not so much worthy of my love. That person is not so much worthy of my time any, anymore. And, and it's easy to love some people. It's easy to love our families. It's easy to love our church friends. It's easy to love people we work with who are also Christians and we're kind of like this holy huddle at work. But it also becomes very easy to care very little for other people who aren't in the in crowd, right? And this happens individually where, where we, we don't so much love people who've hurt us. We, we, we show little concern with people who aren't like us, who, who maybe have said bad things about us, who have somehow stolen from us, or maybe somebody destroyed a partnership with some, some underhanded dealings years and years ago. So it's easy not to love those people anymore. And we, and we do this individually, but we also do this. I mean, think about this. You know, you go through a nasty divorce or breakup, and you end up hating the very people that you made a child with one day. And I'm not so sure that that reflects the gospel at all. And we do this as a church as well, don't we? we? We do this individually, but we do this with groups. And some people in this room get all huffy around certain men and women who do not vote the same way that they vote. And some people in this room uh, get all constricted inside because when, when they're confronted with certain ethnic groups that don't look like them. Some people in this room are just plain old disgusted when, when people don't match their socioeconomic levels or the same race, or the same uh, education level. Um, and we don't talk about this very often in this thing called church, but uh, especially in church, this is true. 
Look how segregated churches are. There are white churches and there are black churches. And there are rich churches and there are middle class churches and there are poor churches. And somehow, and in some way, we have forgotten what it means to love like Christ's love. To be concerned like Christ is concerned. See, we put up these, these qualifiers, right? These, we could call them better bees. They better be nice. That's who I'm going to love. I'm just going to love nice people. They better be kind. They better be generous. They better not hurt me. They better be safe for me, for my kids. They, they better be stable. They better not be weird. Because if they're weird, they don't deserve my love, right? They better be deserving. We could call these the better bees, and it goes something like this. They better be white. They better be black. They better be pro-life. They better be liberal. They better be Democrat. They better be Republican. They better be young, or they better be old, because I don't like young people because they got tattoos, right? And we put up these qualifiers. They better be single. They better be rich. They better not have more than me. And we put up these qualifiers, does this ring a bell to how humanity works? I think it is. Um, even when Jesus simply reached out to Zacchaeus, do you realize all the qualifiers went up? I mean, think about the very mission of Christ was to reach lost people, and then when Jesus reaches lost people, who reacts poorly to it? Anybody remember the rest of the story? The religious crowd. The religious crowd goes, I can't believe it. He's actually hanging out with sin-filled people. Sort of the point. It's sort of the point. And this is what we do, though. We, 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 we get all troubled in our spirit if, if, if our church ventures into some, reaching some people who just aren't like us. And, and here's what happened. Here's why we can justify this. This is why the church has justified this for hundreds of years. By living almost in two different worlds. They live in their little Christian bubble. Here's why. Because... Church people start thinking like this, that God must have, because I have, God's like me and I'm like God, he's my father. And, and so I have lists of qualified people that I love. So God must have a list of qualified people he loves. And, and we start to literally think that, that God has some people that he loves and God has some people that he doesn't love so much. And we start to justify because I don't love certain people and I don't like certain people. And I don't care so much for certain people and I would never go to certain people and I would never hang out with certain people and I would never reach out to certain people and I would never live in a neighborhood with certain people and I would never go to dinner with certain people. Then most certainly God has those same lists as I have. And friends, I think personally that the reason Jesus was in the middle of this motion in his life, and he's middle of this movement in his life. He looks up and he sees this, this tax collector, sin-filled midget guy, and he stops and says, I want to I get together with you. And it is because, friends, listen, it is because he was making a blanket statement that the Father's heart is indiscriminately loving. Y'all hear me on this? The Father's heart is indiscriminately loving. Um, you know, it... And we could talk all about this and there's so much, but I think the bottom line is this, is that Jesus was trying to teach us that we never lock eyes with someone who does not matter deeply to God. And they ought to matter to us. Jesus is moving through the crowd. A whole bunch of people that he was liking, hanging with. You know, he was hanging out with his posse. He had his people. But he locks eyes with someone who is far from the heart of God. And Jesus knew that that man mattered 
to his father. And it ought to matter to him. And he tells you and me that it ought to matter to us. Amen? This is where it starts. Yeah, this is where it starts. Developing friendships. I'm going to hit you two more Ds, and this is going to take three minutes, I promise. Okay, here we go. Just two more Ds. The first level of D is, the, I think, the big one is that we just got to get out of our comfort, and we got to go and develop some new friendships with, with people who might not be just like us. But here's the second one. We need to discover stories. Listen, nobody wants to feel like a project, right? Nobody wants to feel like a Jesus mission for you. You know, I was in life group with a friend, and, and this, this family is still very much a big part of our church, and... Um, and we were talking about how she came to faith. And she said very early on, there were, there were two people who um, shared Christ with her, tried to witness to her, you know, tell the love of God to her. And she said these two people had completely different approaches. One, it was like a, going to an Amway meeting. It was constant sell, 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 right? And uh, this person couldn't hardly have a sentence with her or a conversation with her where it wasn't, the Bible says, or you know God's working on you. You know, those, I'm just constant, I mean, just beating her down into the ground with, with God, Bible, religion, church, and all that. Then she says there's this other person who loved God equally as much and wanted to give her the greatest gift ever equally as much. And yet, this person just developed a real friendship who listened to her story, who, who wasn't there to beat God into her, but was allowing God to work through this person into her life gently Quietly, slowly even. You know, in, in that same life group experience, I've, been, I've done this with all my life groups that I've been part of where, where we go around the room, we start you know, talking about our journeys of faith and how do we get to where we are now with, with our relationship with God. It's unbelievable. Every one of them, everyone that can hardly ever remember, starts with somebody along the way just being willing to be part of their life, being friends with them, and listening to their story. Just discovering who they were. Not an agenda, not a beat down, but just discovering who these people are, discovering their story. Amen, y'all hear this? So I think it starts with developing friendships. Second D is I think it's discovering the stories behind people's lives and being legit with them. Not a market plan, not a Jesus plan, just loving people. And then here's the third one real quick is this idea of discerning next steps in our life. You know, if you're going to hear the voice of God at some point, you're just going to have to sit down for a moment and you're going to have to say, God, I hear you. God, I sense that you're calling. But I need some direction. I need to know what to do. I want to hear clearly and I don't want to be a fool with this. I want to discern where you would have me go because some of us live like, Mwah! all over the board all the time. And that's not good either. We need to know where God's leading and stay the course once in a while and find out what exactly he has for you. Friends, listen, bottom line is you look at the, the life of Jesus and you look at his interaction with Zacchaeus. I mean, he, here was a man, he said, who's far from me, who's different from me. And he says, I'm gonna develop a friendship with this guy. He's not gonna be a project. He went to dinner. He did life with this man. He heard the voice of God and we don't know what was said in that conversation, but something profound happened. He heard the leadership of God, he discerned it, he obeyed it, and he shared the greatest gift with his new friend. And salvation came to that house. Amen? Amen. Amen.
So let's pray. Thank you, God. God, I, I realize that this type of message is for those of us who believe. It's, it's more than that even. It's for those of us who say, I want to be part of your kingdom move. So God, I guess I'm asking first and foremost that you would speak to that group of people right now. Those who would say, I'm willing, I want to I go where you go. I want to do what you have me to do. But God, more than that, I pray for each and every one in this room who, um, who you desperately want a relationship with. There might be some here who are just kind of getting an understanding of how you operate and what your son Jesus was all about. God, would you speak to each of us in this place? God, would you do a great work in each of our lives? God, would you answer the questions that each of us have? God, would your spirit speak to our souls? We ask all of this in Jesus' strong name. Amen. Amen.